So today's our last part of this series, our last one, and um, and I think that, you know, honestly, whenever I started with this series, it kind of, in my brain, I guess, was a little bit different than the path that we ended up going down, but I, I've been really happy with what we've talked about and kind of where this series has taken us, so I hope that you guys have... Um, honestly taken as much out of the series as I have writing it because I mean I think people feel like that whenever I write these lessons that it's like my words my opinions my thoughts that come out in reality like these are God's teachings and the the things that we talk about sometimes are convicting to me like whenever I write it whenever I type it I'll be like oh my goodness like I needed to hear that in my own life and so as we've been walking through this series, there's definitely been a lot of things that have stood out to me that I've written, that I've taught, that were like, man, I needed to hear that for myself. And so I hope you guys have felt the same. <clears throat> but we're going to cross into our last lesson tonight. And if you're taking notes, it's called Be the Church. And so, you know, we've been looking at all these ideas of, you know, what it means to make church not about you, um, to make it about glorifying God and making his gospel known. And so this last lesson is really all about how we can do that, how we can glorify God and make his name known. And when we do that, we become the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a place. The church is us. We are the church, the body of Christ, and it's our job to serve him, to glorify him, and to spread his gospel around the world. So I think we all can agree that the last couple of years have been pretty tough, right? Like, we, we had a really, really strange time these last couple of years with everything that's been going on. And there have been so many hard things that the last couple of years have produced. But... There have also been a couple things that have created a positive impact. And and before you're like, there has been nothing positive come out of the last two years. Let me explain. But one is, I feel that it forced more churches to become more accessible outside of the church building. Because there was a period in time where we could not meet here in the church building. And it caused church leaders, church members, church goers... To really kind of think of church outside of the building. Like how can we how can we have church or be the church outside of just coming and sitting in the sanctuary for an hour on Sundays? And quite frankly, um, it kind of took away our ability to just come to church and sit there. Like I think that most people do. They just come to church on Sunday mornings and they just sit there. Never doing anything. And they feel like they're doing what God's called them to do. Like people literally come to church, they sit in the sanctuary for an hour, and they go home and they're like, serve the Lord today, sitting in that pew, doing nothing. And, and in reality, we, we miss the part where God tells us to do so much more than just come to church and sit in a pew. <clears throat> now, I've read the Bible, and I definitely see where it tells us the importance of attending church and being a part of a church body and coming to learn and to, <clears throat> to understand more about God. 
What I don't see in the Bible is the part where it tells us that that's all we have to do to be a good Christian. And I feel like a lot of people feel like to be a good Christian, they just have to come to church. And and quite frankly, I think that this area of just attending church and really doing nothing more, not serving, not being involved and not doing a lot, is where like 70, 75% of church members fail. Like, and I look around this room and some of you are probably sitting in here being like, wait, I serve in different areas. I know my parents, my grandparents, whoever serve in different areas. So how are you saying that? And you don't realize how many people come on Sunday mornings that we do not see the rest of the week. They literally just come here and then they're gone. And the reason that you don't know who they are is because of exactly what I'm talking about. They don't get involved and they don't serve in the church. And, And, you know, these same people come up with a million reasons and excuses why they can't get involved or serve more. And, and I'm just going to be honest, there are a few of them that are valid, but 99% of these excuses and reasons for not serving in the church are just total garbage. They're, they're simply ways for them to preserve their selfish desires. Because, I mean, I think we can all understand this idea that I would rather not be obligated to do something than obligated to do something, right? So if I sign up to help in this area... Like even if it's, let's just say, for example, children's church. If I sign up to work children's church once every month or two, like even though I've signed up to do that to serve, I don't like being obligated when it's my turn. I'm like, great, it's my week to do children's church. You know, like people have that attitude. And so the way they get around this is they just opt not to serve. So when I look at... You know, I think it's crazy because where I feel like this misses the, the, the target is just plain and simple looking at the Great Commission. I mean, the Great Commission is like literally one of the most well-known ideas. I mean, people probably can't tell the passage reference like John three sixteen. they can, you know, but like, like people know the Great Commission. When you tell them, when you ask people, what's the Great Commission, they can say it. Maybe not verbatim, but they could say it. But the Great Commission, which, spoiler alert, does exactly what it says it's going to do, commissions us as believers, as followers of Jesus, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them the Word of God. That is the commission from Jesus to the disciples, right? And to us. So when we look at this idea of the Great Commission... This is what Jesus himself told his followers, that includes us, followers of Jesus, to do. To go, not just to the people we know, not just to the people in our city, in our state, in our country, but to the ends of the earth, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them God's word. The Great Commission does not tell us to go to church. That is not the commissioning of a Christian. The Bible never says, okay, once you, become a, once you become a Christian, God requires that you attend this many hours of services a year and that you serve on this many committees and that you attend a potluck at least once a year. Like, it doesn't say anything like that. The Great Commission is not about commissioning us to attend church. It's about commissioning us to do the work of God, to be the church. So... I read this quote and it didn't have it like credited to anyone. So I'm not trying to like plagiarize it, but I thought it was a good quote. So I want to share it. 
But it said, don't let buildings confine your faith because you'll never change the world by going to church. You must be the church. And I thought that there's a certain reality that comes with this, this idea that you know, we're called as Christians to change the world. And people always talk about, like, I want to change the world for this reason or that reason or whatever reason. And I would hope that each and every one of us as Christians who, who know the gospel and have the love of Jesus in our hearts, we have a burden and a passion for going out and preaching the gospel and helping people understand the love of Jesus so that they can accept salvation and spend eternity with God in heaven instead of separated from him in hell. And I hope that you have that burden on your heart. And if you do, then... You should want to change the world for the name of Jesus and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like that, plain and simple. It should be that easy. But yet we all sit here and we allow buildings and coming to this building to like put a wall up around our faith. And in reality, what I'm saying here, and this sounds kind of insane, is that the modern church structure is holding back Christians from doing what God says to do. Like, and I think we like to think that the church empowers people to share the gospel. But in reality, I think most churches in a modern church structure hold people back from doing the work that God has called them to do. So I want to look at two areas tonight where we're where we are called to be the church and how is a youth group. And I'm going to kind of. OK, so one, I'm going to look at these two areas and then two, I'm going to look at how as a youth group we're kind of doing in these two areas. OK, I'm going to kind of give us I'm not going to give us a grade per, per se, but I'm going to kind of give you an idea of how I feel that we do at these things. So the first area is to serve within the church. And, and I don't want to be missed with all this that I'm saying like, oh, the church is like, you know, we're not just called to come to church and we're not just called to be inside these walls. But it's important for us to realize that ministry has to start within the church. Like that's the first place it has to start because if we don't have a good ministry within the church, then our ministry outside the church is never going to be what it should be. So, so everything has to start within the church. That's why we have a church. I think we can, I think that, you know, I think this idea that, and I already said that we'd rather not be obligated to something than obligated to it. But I feel like what this idea has done is it's created a cycle in the church today to where young people and young adults, like teenagers to like young adults, they do tons of stuff in the church. Like they're on all these committees and everything. And then like, or they're not committees, but they serve in all these different areas. They teach all these classes and blah, 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 blah. And then when you start to get like where you feel like you're getting too old to teach all these classes and run around with all these kids, then you move on to like the middle-aged people who just sit on committees and they argue about stuff that really doesn't do anything. And that's kind of their role. And then the next cycle is you become a senior adult and you basically attend church only for you and you gets you have people that cater to what you want and you if they don't cater to what you want you find another church that will and like and then they count on the senior adults count on the young people to do all the jobs they used to do and then they count on the middle-aged people to serve on the committees they used to serve on and the cycle just keeps going around and around and around and in reality 
We've got to break this idea that people have quote-unquote served their time in these areas and retire from helping in the church. And, and we have to break this because in reality it's kind of disgusting that we read Scripture and from this point of view we allow people to not serve the kingdom of God. Like in, in, in reality we should be calling upon these people and say, look, I understand that you served your time quote-unquote, but... You are not dead. You still have a responsibility to serve the kingdom of God. And on the same hand, we need to call upon the young people and be like, look, God has gifted you this youthfulness and this energy that you can help in these areas. You need to step up and help in these areas. And they need to find a way to balance all this. It doesn't need to just be this cycle of like moving through the stages of serving in the church until you retire from church service. That's, that's not what God intended. And, and so in looking at how we as a youth group do in this area, I'm honestly, I'm going to commend you guys tonight because I feel like our youth group does a fairly good job of serving throughout the church. I feel like we have a number of youth members who teach in different capacities around the church, who serve in different areas around the church. And for those of you who are younger in, in here, those opportunities will present themselves to you. Obviously, we just talked about helping out in VBS. Like that's kind of the first thing you get to do as like a young kid in the youth group is you get to come back and help with Vacation Bible School that you used to attend. But as you go through this time in youth, you're going to find more opportunities to get to serve the church. And I would challenge you to take those opportunities to take uh, to watch what some of the older kids in the youth group do and and model yourself after them because I think that they have this right and I hope <laughs> I say all this to to commend you and to say like hey I'm proud of you guys for working serving in the church and, and I say this hoping that you serve in places like children's church because you feel a call from God to serve his kingdom and not because you'd rather attend children's church than big church. Like, I hope that's not what it is, but like, Hey, pastor Aaron does not give a snack time during his sermon and children's church does like, that's what it is. It's the animal crackers, isn't it? No, I, I, uh, the goldfish. Okay. The goldfish. No, I, I genuinely hope it. And I understand that maybe at the beginning it can be a little bit of that. Like, Oh, I I'm going to go help in children's church so that one month, one day out of the month, I don't have to attend big church. I understand it can start like that, but I hope that those of you who are serving in children's church are doing it out of a place in your heart of like, hey, I want to serve and invest in these kids and share the gospel with these kids within our church and not just because you want to get out of church. But I feel that the people who do help in these areas do it out of a place of service. And so that's why I wanted to commend you guys for the, ser- the service that you do. And I'm, I truly am proud of you guys. Um, I'm very proud of you guys for that service that you, you do, but I want, to, I want to give you a fair warning. And, and if you're young in here and you haven't had a chance to serve in a lot of areas, I want you to listen to this as well because I think that this is, a, is, this is the beginning of that cycle, this trap that everyone falls in. And I, I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to encourage you to guard yourself. To guard yourself from getting burned out on church work. And, and, and trust me, 
I, of all people, understand probably more... I I don't want to say more than anyone in here, because that's just me being like, oh, but I, trust me, I understand what it means and what it feels like to be burned out on church work. I, I have done things in my life, I've served in areas in my life where I have ran myself into the ground... And I have pushed myself past the point to where I enjoyed serving God in the way that I was. And it's just not a good place to be in, one. But two, it makes it to where you lose the desire to serve the kingdom of God. And I think people feel like pastors have this amazing ability to serve without tiring. But, but in reality, it's the opposite. We're constantly tired, but we serve anyway because... It's our job. Like, I can't tell you how many times I talk to pastors, youth pastors and everything. They're like, man, I am so burned out of working at a church. But it's my job. It's how I, like, afford my house and feed my family and take care of my kids. And I have to do these things even though I'm finding no joy in them whatsoever. So let me advise you to guard yourself from this. And if you feel yourself starting to get burned out on something, like if you're serving in children's church and you're like, man, I I just am really getting tired and I get frustrated every time my name comes up on the rotation to go help in children's church. Don't just back out of children's church and say like, hey, I'm never serving in this area again. I don't want to serve. I'm burned out, blah, blah, blah. I would challenge you to find a new area to serve. To be like, you know what? I've kind of reached the point of my serviceability in this area. And I need to find something new to do, some new way to serve that's fresh and keeps me energized and focused on serving the kingdom of God. Don't just, don't just quit and do nothing. Find other areas to serve in for a change of scenery at the very least. Simply being tired and getting burned out of doing church work is not an excuse to stop serving God. And I get that it's hard to do something when you see everyone else sitting around doing nothing. Like you can look in the church and be like, well, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so don't help. Why? If everyone in this church doesn't help in this area, then why should I help in this area? And that mentality is so toxic in a church. But I challenge you guys not to fall into this idea of selfishness that comes with that. This like, oh, I don't want to serve because it's too much work. Or I don't want to serve because these people aren't serving. And we look in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 23.2, it actually says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. And, and when I read this, <clears throat> I really started to think about like how many times we look at how many people are doing the wrong thing, and we're like, well, if everyone else is doing it, then it's okay for me to do it too. And, and I, this is not church related at all, but... I think most of you guys in here know that I'm a big OU fan. And obviously, if you're an OU fan, you love football. And if you know anything about OU football, they just got a brand new coach uh, this last offseason. And he, I heard him talking on the radio, <clears throat> and he was talking about college football stuff. This wasn't God-related at all. But he said this quote, and this quote has stuck with me. For a long time, and it pertains exactly to what Exodus 23 is saying about do not follow a crowd in doing wrong. But he said, wrong is still wrong, even if everyone's doing it, and right is still right, 
even if nobody's doing it. And he said this, and it really just like was like this light bulb moment. And I was like, I can't believe I've never thought of it like that. And I think so many times we allow what is right and what is wrong to be dictated by what other people are doing around us. Like, oh, if everyone's not serving in the church, then it must be okay to not serve in the church. Guys, that is so far from the truth. No matter what other people do in their service to the church, our responsibility as Christians is to serve. Not, not just serve in the church, but to serve as the church. So the first area we need to, we're called to serve is within the church. And the second area is obviously the opposite of that. It's outside of the church. Okay? Like very, very simple. Inside the church, outside of the church. Now... Just looking at this from a realistic standpoint, and we're going to dive into exactly why this is in a second, I feel like as a youth ministry, this is an area where we fall a little short, is our work outside of the church. And I know some of you who are either in here or some of you who will listen to this later uh, on podcast, your heads are going to explode because some of you have been talking to me about wanting to do mission projects and wanting to do outreach and wanting to do all these different things, and you're like... How can you say that we're failing as a youth group because you won't let... Okay, like I, uh, I get it, okay? And I told you whenever I write these lessons, sometimes I convict myself in my writing. And this was definitely an area where I was like, hey, you know what? As a youth pastor, I need to equip you guys and enable you guys better, like provide more opportunities for you guys to serve and outreach to the community. But, but in the same hand... The same people who press me on wanting to do missions and outreach, I have rarely, if ever, seen them bring someone with them to church. Meaning that they are not doing outreach on their own. And I think what this is, is it's a lot easier to go into the community to do missions and to reach out to people that you don't know than it is sometimes to have conversations with people you already have a relationship with about your faith and about coming to church and about tending, coming to camp. And again, I think we come up with, just like, just like the people who, who have all these excuses of why they don't serve within the church, people come up with a million reasons why we don't invite our friends or our classmates or our family members to come to church with us. But again, like, again... <laughs> That some of them are valid. I'm not trying to take away from the, the, the very, very small number that are valid, but 99% of these excuses and reasons are complete garbage. Again, we say them as a blocker to preserve our selfish desires, which is to not have awkward conversations with people. Like, I have kind of come to terms with the fact that most of the conversations I have with people at some point turn awkward just because I tend to be a little bit of an awkward person. Um, I tend to say things that are awkward. I don't know why. I guess that part of my brain isn't fully developed or something. I, I don't fully know. But I think that as a people, we don't like to have awkward and difficult or potentially damaging to us or our reputation conversations. Real, realistically... It should be little to no challenge at all for each of you in here to find one person and invite them and bring them to camp. 
Like, I, I think that, like, I, I, I'm thinking back to whenever I was in high school. And, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't have a lot of friends outside of the church. Like, I had a couple. But at some point or another, most of my friends that I had outside the church eventually came to church. And whether through me or through someone else. But I had very few friends outside of church. But I always was able to find one person that I was like, you know what? I need to invite them to camp. And in reality, I was able to usually find one person who said yes, which means that I found three or four people who said no. But I don't think it should be that much of a challenge for each of you in here to find someone to invite to church or invite to church camp and to to get one person to say yes, which means you might have to think of three or four or five people who say no before you find the person who says yes. But I'd be willing to bet that when it comes down to it, And we leave on that Monday morning to head to Falls Creek that 90% of the kids that go to summer camp with us will be active members of this youth group in some capacity. That we will have a very small number of people go to camp who aren't a part of this youth group. And and I don't want to say that that's wrong because it is an opportunity for us to go and learn and like to become better followers of God and, and False Creek is awesome and camp is awesome and it's for our youth group. I understand that. But in reality, what I'd like is for the percentage of kids who are active in our youth group going to camp to be around 30 to 50%. Now, that doesn't mean that less of you go. That means that we have more of your friends who aren't an active member of this youth group going. That means that each of you are bringing one to two friends each. In fact... And I might have to make this deal again later, just because there's not a whole lot of you guys here tonight. But I'd be willing to make some sort of deal. And I don't know, I'm not going to let you guys color my beard again. That was a nightmare. (laughs) But I would be willing to do, to make some sort of deal, to make some sort of like, I don't want to say bet, because I might burst into flames in a church, but... I'd be willing to make some sort of deal with you guys that if we had 50%, if we had less than 50% of the people going to camp are what I would consider active members of our youth group, that I would do something very embarrassing for me. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever you guys, like, we can talk about it. Huh? No, I really don't. That's, but. What? Okay, I said, I said embarrassing, not sinful. Um, so, but we can think about it. But like, realistically, like, and, and, and I would do this kind of one as a challenge to you guys to try to get you to invite your friends and get that number down below 50%. But I would do it because, not that I don't have faith in you guys, but I have confidence in the fact that the number of kids we're going to take to camp is going to be predominantly kids who are active in this youth group. You know, when I think of why it is that we refuse to invite people to church or to camp, I think it boils down to selfishness, which has really been the point of this entire series. 
we have some sort of hang up or some sort of fear about asking someone to come to church or asking someone to come to camp with us. I mean, like, I always, I always ask people this, or, or like, I'll, I'll ask, this isn't just for church things, but I ask people all the time, I'm like, what's the worst case scenario? Like, you're afraid to do this thing. Okay, so let's just say you're afraid to have the conversation with your friend about coming to church. Or you're afraid to have this conversation with your friend about your faith. Or you're afraid to have the conversation with your friend about attending church camp with your church. What's the worst case scenario that could happen? They say no. Okay, like, that would be bad. Not really. They would just say no and you'd move on about your day. So what's something worse? They stop being your friend? Okay, like that would be really rough to lose a friendship over something like that. But I, but I think we can all in here acknowledge that if someone's going to stop being your friend because you invite them to church, they probably either one, weren't that great of a friend to begin with, or two, shouldn't be your friend at all. Okay, so let's think of something worse than they stop being your friend. Maybe they start bullying you at school because of what you believe. Maybe because you told them that you're a Christian and you invited them to church, they start picking on you and bullying you because of what you believe. Okay. Now we're crossing into a little bit of territory about like, that's really rough. But whenever I think about in the full spectrum of people who have ever been called to share the gospel of Jesus. Being picked on a little bit at school is pretty, pretty light. I have a paper. I think I left it in my car so I can go get it for you in a second if you want to see. But it shows the 12 disciples. And we know that Judas obviously turned Jesus in and then he... He was no longer a disciple. They added a 12th disciple in the book of Acts. But we look at the 12 disciples post-Jesus' ascension. And we look at at what happened to all 12 of them for starting the church and standing up for their faith. And if you look at it, and again, we can look at it in a second. I'll go grab it. But... 11 out of 12 of them were killed for their faith in Jesus. And the 12th one was attempted to be killed multiple times and then survived and ended up writing the book of Revelation later in his life. And he died of, I guess, natural causes. But 11 of 12 either were killed or 11 of 12 were killed. 12 of 12 were either killed or attempted to be killed and, and what I ask myself when I look at this is out of 12 people, if you took 12 people, and, and, and I'm not trying to be morbid here, but I'm just saying like, just, I'm just putting this out there, okay, because they were all killed in a variety of different ways. Again, we can look at that paper later. But if you take 12 out of 12 people in here and you put a gun to their head and say, right now, you need to say that you don't believe in, the, in what you're preaching, that your faith does not set with Jesus, I would think, just on average, taking 12 people, that at the very least one of them, out of 12, 
would choose self-preservation and say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't believe that, please don't kill me. But yet, 12 out of 12 disciples stood their ground and staked their claim in their faith with Jesus right up until the moment that they met with him in heaven. And then I look at where we're at now in society, and we won't even ask someone to come to church. We won't even invite someone to come to camp. Because what? Our fear? It's really sad where our standards of being the church have fallen to. You know, last week we looked at Peter's failures. um, And we looked at Peter denying Jesus three times. Remember we talked about how, how we all should prepare to fail in our pursuit of Jesus and how Peter was this, this great uh, leader, this great apostle, who Jesus had said that on you, Peter, that the rock, I will build my church. He gives Peter this, this great honor of saying, I'm going to build my church upon you. And then Peter turns around and denies him three times in front of people. But in one of the greatest moments of recouping and forgiveness in human history, we see Jesus interacting with Peter after he's been resurrected. And, and Jesus asked Peter three times, one for each of the times that he denied him. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I love you, Jesus, all three times. And Jesus replies to each of those three times. He tells Peter what? Feed my sheep. Which sounds like a weird thing to ask someone to do. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Okay. But what he was saying was he was saying, Peter, if you love me, Your responsibility is to take care of my people. Not just Christians. Not just your friends. But all of God's sheep. All of his people. That was Peter's responsibility as a Christian. Was, if you love me, feed my sheep. And I look at this and he tells him again, he, he, he asks him three times if he loves him, one for each time that he denied him to, to kind of forgive him for each of the times. And he tells him three times to feed his sheep. And I think this is an awesome picture of who we are supposed to be as believers of Jesus. And we can ask ourselves, we can sit here right now and we can ask ourselves in the same vein as the disciples who gave their lives trying to feed Jesus sheep. We know that they loved him. We know that they loved him because of the sacrifice and the extents that they went to. So I think it's fair for us to sit here and ask ourselves, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And and I would hope that your answer to that is yes, of course I love Jesus. He's my Savior. He died for me. And if that is your answer... If your answer to do you love Jesus is yes, of course I love Jesus. Then your call 
is not to come to church. Your call is not to go to camp, not to be a part of the youth ministry. It's to feed a sheep. And again, it sounds funny, but it's what he's called us to do is to take care of what he has entrusted to us. And that is all the people that we come in contact with, all the friends that we have, all the family that we have, all the people in this world. We are called to reach them, to serve God's kingdom in a way that we can spread his gospel to the ends of the earth. So if you find yourself tonight unwilling or unable to do that, I think you need to take some time really assessing where your heart lies, where your faith lies, and to what extent do you love Jesus? Because if you're not serving him, if you're not reaching people with his gospel, then you're basically telling him that you don't love him with your, with your life. So I'm going to challenge you guys tonight. Be thinking. I told you guys, we've got a lot of stuff coming up over the next few weeks. We've got Awana stuff next week. And then we have our summer kickoff two weeks from today. That's a perfect opportunity to invite someone to come to a summer kickoff. Like, we're going to have a bunch of games. We'll have some music out there. We're going to have good food. It'll be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about camp a lot, and we'll have registration out there. I already told you guys that. It's a great opportunity to invite someone to come to that event that maybe wouldn't come to church, but might be willing to come to church camp, right? Because that's a fun thing. It's not boring church. But find a way to reach the people in your life for Jesus. Because that's what we're called to do as believers. So let me pray for you guys and we'll get out of here. God, thank you so much for tonight. I thank you so much for the great commissioning that you have given us, the call for us to make disciples, to baptize them and to teach them the word of God. And I just pray that you would just help us all to be people who take that to heart, who strive to serve you with all that we have, who, who commit our lives to standing up for you in the face of any sort of persecution, any sort of backlash that we may face, that you would give us a boldness to reach out to people and to either share your gospel with them or invite them to a place where they can hear your gospel, God, because it is our job, our responsibility as believers in you to share your gospel with all those that we come in contact with, God. God, I pray for these students. I know that the difficulties... The struggles that they go through in trying to reach their schools, their friends for you. And I just pray that you would give them a peace about that and give them a boldness to to invite their friends to, to church and to camp. And that you would just help them to be people who reach out to those around them. God, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.